expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's episode 151 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, and what's that? What's that I smell? Oh, that's right. It's con season in the air. It's also the smell of con flu and con crud yeah, as well. Yeah, the con crud as well, because, I mean, of course you got to start the con right at the tail end of flu season, right? Yeah, and I mean, of course, ECCC, you know, Emerald City Comic Con, starting March 2nd to the 5th. I mean, that's really the kickoff of con season. I mean, I know we talk about on the show, con season is pretty much now a, you know, 12-month thing, you know, you had Long Beach the other week ago and, and stuff like that. But really, ECCC is like the big start of it all. And then it just transitions. You know, we got Awesome Con coming up uh, later in the, towards the summer. And then you have, of course, San Diego. So it's really, really, really interesting to see how, you know, it's, it's almost here, you know. I think that ever since Wizard World went and flushed themselves down the toilet. Pretty much. That, uh, we can definitely say that ECCC is You really got to think about that, too. You have to think about that, too. Speaking of Wizard World, like, con season, in a sense, kind of started with the whole Wizard World news and a whole big yeah. scandal that yeah. we covered a while back, you know, and, and how they're kind of grasping for life right now. And, and it's just, it's astounding, you know, how in, like, a little amount of months that we can go from this huge Wizard World story to... Hey, Emerald City Comic Con is just around the corner. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if you go to their website, they've ditched a, a bunch of cons, oh, yeah. actually. Very quietly, they've, they've, they've gotten rid of a bunch of cons. So, by the way, I'm James with them alongside. The Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. And, yeah, I mean, you know, you have con season and stuff like that that's here. And and here's a real quick, quick story. Like, what's the worst, I mean, we talked about it, I kind of joked about it earlier. What's the worst case of con crud you ever had? Ah, uh, awesome con. That was no, before, just, though. Like, <laughs> that was before and during. Actually, during it wasn't that bad. No, I, I'd gotten like a touch of uh, a touch of um, uh, E. coli food poisoning. I'll, 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 I'll tell. I'll let people know. So we, of course, went to awesome con last year, and it was the first time covering a major, you know, out of state con. And we were in D.C. And we were in, those, in the hotel room, and you know, it sucked because James couldn't really eat anything. Nope. nope. So of course we had you know in our closet in the hotel room we had like you know like a twelve pack of soda and some stuff like that but it's like hey there's like this atomic burger place let's go get some burgers I can't man. Oh, it would have been atomic all right let me tell you that right now <laughs> yeah. it would have been very atomic I mean the closest we've got we went to eat we went to the the, the restaurant downstairs where I had probably the best steak in my life but I mean uh, no it was like I remember just sitting on the bed in the hotel room we're watching TV and. We were just eating dominoes. <laughs> and and, and we were, by, by eating dominoes, by the way, he means I had bread. Yeah. Literally <laughs> You just had bread. the breadsticks. That's it. You just had the breadsticks. I had the pizza, the breadsticks, and the soda. And we were just... And plus, mind you, we had, we had you know, the bed we were sitting on, uh, you know, we had we had two beds, but the one we were sitting on that was close to the TV, it had all white sheets. Yeah. So we were fucking rebels. Yeah, exactly. We were, we were eating sauced pizza and bread, garlic breadsticks on white sheets. And did we lose that security deposit? No, we did Fuck not. Fuck no. <laughs> we're goddamn champions. <laughs> we did get woken up several times. That's beyond that. That's beyond that. Stupid fire alarm. But, yeah. I mean, other than that, man, real quick, you know, Stella Maeve came on last week to talk about season two of The Magicians. And, you know, she's listening now. I actually, her and I have been going back and forth on Twitter since the interview. And uh, it's just like, because she talked about Taboo, so I watched an episode of it. And, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. I wish I had a, a bottle of Captain Morgan handy, too, you know. 
Man, just magicians just keeps getting better and better every it does. episode. Oh and my I mean, god! It's just and it's been so emotional too. It's not just the 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 crazy stuff that happens. There's a lot of emotional stuff, that, and the, there was a lot of funny stuff that happened right. in this past week's episode as well. And you're so. also seeing what I like in the season as well is you're really seeing an even more strengthening of the bonds between mm. the group and, and stuff like that, which is really awesome to see. But other than that, I mean, it's really really fun so Stella thank you for turning around to, to Taboo I really on FX I do uh, because you just that. because you needed one more show to right no basically. can we talk about it real quick <laughs> like okay so we, we talk off the air a lot about how hey have you watched the show yet are, are you caught up in the show yet you know because we talk about it on the show and it's just one of those things where it's like there's just so many shows I know like like Timeless which we're going to review in Geektainment uh, you know, it had its its finale, so it's kind of like okay, we get a little bit of a break. But then as soon as that comes in, another show is going to take its place. So yep. it just watching TV. While I love it, because I'm like, hey, I'm actually you know my work actually consists of watching TV shows, which is not bad, based you know. on comic books, which is not bad at all. But there comes a point where it's kind of like. Oh my God! I had to like, why, you know, you're right. behind an episode. It's just like comes like a chore, you right? Know? And like I was scrolling on Facebook the other day, and I saw, don't forget, Iron Fist premieres March 17th. I'm like, <laughs> God damn it! Right? But kind of we said like, okay, March is a busy month already because we have Power Rangers, we have Logan, Ghost in the Shell, yep. and, and you know, and, and I, I'm going to see Beauty and the Beast as well. So I'll it's, see it's it a, too. Yeah. It's a busy month in terms of just movies, but then you throw Iron Fist in there, and you're like. God damn, am I, like, going to have any weekends to do anything? No, no. And, you know, until my kid gets a little older and can watch this <laughs> right. stuff with me, I, that doesn't help me at all, by the way. I mean, you could even see Beauty and the Beast, probably. That, that, well, I don't know, man. That kid in the movie theater, I don't want to do that to those people. <laughs> my kid running up and down the aisles, right. dancing. I don't, I mean, that's cute for me, but maybe not for anything he else. Like, he's like, next thing you know, he's like X-23, just stabbing people in their seats while he's watching I've Logan. Seen, when he's in one of his moods, I wouldn't put it past him. I've been punched by him before. So, yeah, well, I mean, and, and you know, fun. he means well, but yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. But coming up next, where we're discussing two new comics as what we're reading is coming up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is artist Jay Lee, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, this week we're putting on our neon spanks or spandex or whatever the hell they wore in the '80s. I don't know. I was a baby back. Jazzercise! <laughs> Get your leggings because <laughs> we're gonna open up our long boxes and it's time for what we're reading. Of course, we talk about the neon. We talk about the jazzercising and everything else and how really weird the '80s are with the big hair and everything. Because Let me put my boombox down. Hold on, I'm not ready. You're like you're, you're like 16D batteries it takes. But uh, the reason why we're talking about the A's is because we actually realized that before we recorded this segment, we actually didn't realize we both did comics from the 1980s. Not not comics, but based on stuff from the 80s. Right, yeah. exactly. Comics based on movies from the 1980s. And I'm going to go first. My 1980s film, of course, 1986's Highlander, uh, has a new series out from IDW Publishing called Highlander. The American Dream. It's written by Brian Ruckley. Art is done by Andrea Muti or Andrea Muti. Colors done by Vladimir Popov, and letters are done by Chris Maury. Now, this takes place in 1986. Of course, the same year that the movie took place. If when you saw, when you order, I should say, came out, and it takes place in New York of 1986, and it follows Connor McCloud, of course, the Highlander, and really what this does is kind of, at least the first issue, I should say, and this is a five-part limited series, but what the first issue does is it pretty much highlights that there are, just sort of the guesstimate, about six immortals left. And okay. of course, you know, as the Highlander goes, there can only be one. And this first issue deals with 
Connor McLeod's meeting of another immortal called Osta Vasilek, who is a monk. He's also he's been a monk for like 400 years, but before being a monk, he was a person who fought in the Crusades. And so, right. so it pretty much what this does is it's kind of like a, a time traveling issue, if you will, because it's going through different periods of time. Now, they're not time traveling, of course, but it's kind of like, hey, this is how we remember how we met, and of course, it was during the Civil War. So, it's pretty much what this is doing this whole five issue limited series is going through the Civil War, it's going to go through 1950s Manhattan, 1950s New York. Up to 1986, so bouncing around a little right. bit based on, of course, immortality. Right and all that to stuff. this certain this I forgot the name of what this this event is called, but it starts with an R, and so it's it's pretty much leading up to this point. Now there are a couple of mysterious events in here as well. Of course, you're dealing with immortals, so it's wondering like who's going to come back, who's going to throw you know there's the sword and the spoke of the wheel, if you will, and, and mess everything up. And I got to tell you. For what they want to do with this, it was a lot of dialogue, but I felt like if you're somebody who has not seen the movie Highlander, this is going to make you want to go back and watch the movie. Mm. Not just to get the gist of like who these people are. I mean, there are some immortals that weren't in the movie that you're going to meet in right. the series, but it's kind of like that interest level. Like, oh, I didn't see this, because you know, there are references to the movies and, and past characters that you might not understand unless you've seen the movie. But what this does really well is it, it it brings up that interest, and it, I think what it does well is it executes certain eras perfectly because it's not like, this is a civil, oh, you're in a civil war, so what, you know, it just throws things right at you. It's it's more of like, this is the setting. They use the eras just more for a setting instead of what they're more about. And, and I, honestly, I think when the person you meet in the civil war era who fights Connor in that era... Kind of like, okay, we might see him as a recurring person. How is he going to evolve through time and everything else like that or, and, and whatever. And you can kind of see him as a, an antagonist going throughout the issues. Uh, as far as the art goes, th- this is a book that takes place in the 80s, so it does have that kind of 80s style to it in terms of art. There are some inconsistencies with the facial features. Uh, for example, there might be some times where a person... Might be closing their eyes, but the but the eyelid is like just open slightly, so it uh, kind of looks like they yeah. might have a little bit of lazy eye. Yeah. So it's not a really bad. Again, if you're somebody who's read a lot of '80s books, this has a lot of '80s feel to it. It's a lot of '80s style, so they do succeed in that. Uh, the colors by Popov are, are really uh, again they're not they they're not too colorful, but it's not too bland. It's a nice mix and mash of it. Uh, and again, the the art style by Muti is really something that. Again, if you're somebody who read a lot of 80s comics, uh, it falls in line with that. So it's not bad. It's not the best. But there's just some inconsistencies along the way, but they're not ruining. Overall, this is something that I'm really interested in. And honestly, this makes me want to go back and watch rewatch Highlander. I mean, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah, in a certain really, way. Because remember, this, this thing has taken place pretty much 30 years after Highlander came out. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice way to like say, oh, let me go back and refresh my memory on some events of Highlander and stuff. So... I'm going to give this a poll. I'm going to give this a poll. I'm going to give this a poll. If you're a Highlander fan, again, even if you're somebody who hasn't seen the movie, you're going to want to go back and watch the movie and and probably go back and read this. So, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's a lot like, oh, you got to watch the movie before reading this. You can read the first issue. If you seem a little bit lost by some of the characters, the book does do a a good enough job of of connecting the dots there. But for my most part, I'd go back and, and rewatch the, the Highlander movie if I could. Nice. Random fact, by the way, Muti is mother in German. 
Nice. Just just throwing that out there, just in nice. case kids didn't know. I mean, you might learn something today. Well, that's what happens when you, you yourself are married to a German woman. That so. is true. Very true. Pick up a little things every now and then. I've heard too. It's quite impressive. It's you're you're welcome, honey. I get a German reference in the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on, you're not, well, that makes you not on our shit list for a week. That's right. <laughs> Score one for me. Well, since we're in the 80s, how far back did you go in the 80s? A little further back than you did, actually. Okay. 1982, of course. There have been fans of The Dark Crystal that have been waiting for that sequel for over 30 years now. Yeah, and so far, so wait, 1982, so you were like 20 back then, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> something like that. But I mean, I'm, that doesn't mean I haven't been waiting for the same thing. And The Power of the Dark Crystal from Doom uh, Boom Studios. Yes. Yep, that is the sequel. It's written by Simon Spurrier, of course, based on original scripts as well. And don't forget, we can't forget the wonderful, the legend, Jim Henson. That's right, can't forget Jim Henson as well. Art for this, done by Kelly and Nicole Matthews, and letters are done by Jim Campbell. Now, here's the interesting thing. Cover is beautiful, by the way, by Jay Lee and Jim oh, yeah. Chung, though, so i got to give them credit for that as well. But uh, the, the Gelflings, of course, the crystal was restored and all that stuff. We saw that from the last movie, but they've kind of turned into a society of douchebags. Not oh. going to lie, which is very interesting, actually. It's almost like, okay, you've gotten your society back. And the power's gone to your head, and I guess, you know, you go through what you go through, and it changes you a little bit, maybe? And and just a little bit of background on this story. I haven't read the book, but just from the background and synopsis, this is pretty much the sequel to The Dark Crystal. Yep, it is a a direct sequel. Now, what's interesting is to see the dynamic of what Thra has kind of become. It's like, they, okay, so we've been through this stuff, the crystal's restored, and now they have to like give offerings to the crystal and stuff like that because that's what they think gives the crystal its power so, so and gives it its light and stuff like are, that. Are you talking more like sacrifices? Or are you talking more like kind of like what you see in some like um, movies, like medieval movies, where like we have to go on the altar, like here's a basket of bread. It's like whatever. that. It's basically the, the people from the, the surrounding areas will bring an, some sort of offering, okay. some sort of... What is could be conceived of something of value, and you place it at the base of the crystal and whatever you need, because they think the crystal has healing properties. So, like if you, you know, like one instance, there there was a child that was sick. So you know, you give the offering, you go in there, and then you know the child gets gets healed, stuff like that. But what was interesting was, is that something happens in this book, and this isn't a spoiler by the way, because it's in the synopsis. So this is not a spoiler. There, they they see something in the sky, and it turns out. It's a visitor from another another world that exists in the same universe. It's not like outer space or anything like it's that. It's Superman. Actually, it's actually an underworld. Well, there it is a, a ball of light in the sky. Oh, so okay. Not too far, but it's uh, a, a group of called the Firelings, and basically their world is dying now. So basically, what's happening here is is this Fireling is being sent to steal something. Mm. Not exactly the way you want to endear yourself to a group of people that's kind of on edge as it is. Yeah. Um, so that's part of what, a lot of what this first issue is, is trying to track down this filing and find out what, this, what, what she wants and everything like that. Now, here's another thing that I thought was interesting. Jen and Kira, who were the saviors yep. of the first movie, they, it's, they're actually in a deep slumber. And it's against the law to wake them up. So they're kind of like in an Odin sleep, if you will. It's something like that. It, like this self-imposed, hey, we need to chill for like 30 <laughs> years or so. Right. So we're just going to sleep it off kind of thing because, hey, we saved all you guys and, you know, we need a little bit of help. But the, but the very interesting thing is what, what this fireling wants is uh, going to cause a lot of problems. Let's just say that. Okay. But they, but this fireling needs this for their society to survive, 
they need this. I won't spoil what it is exactly. Maybe you can figure it out based on the story of the first movie. Mm -hmm. I'll just, that's that's all I'll say. But I'm just saying that this is going to cause problems. How's the art in this? The art... Ooh, I don't like the look of that face. Okay, it's not bad. But it's hard when you see Jay Lee on the cover. Yeah. And then you f- turn the page, and it's like this just isn't good enough. There was it was it was very flat at times. Right, and mind you, we actually you actually talked to Jay Lee back at Taiwan Comic Con. Yeah, we're back and listen to our interview with him. Feel free to go back. On exactly, and, and I'm not saying that there was anything wrong with this art, but it was very flat at times. Now I will say the pages where the where the firelings were, where they were talking about the backstory right. of them and stuff like that. And any pages that had to do with the firelings was very very was detailed. it was it a deal breaker for you? In terms it of wasn't. It wasn't a deal breaker. I hope that it improved a little bit. It could be one of those things where, ah, it's a first issue, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's kind of getting their feet wet with the characters and stuff like that, so maybe it was part of that, but just the story itself was very, very interesting, I'm not going to lie, and the fact that, you know, you kind of turn this uh, group on its ear and to find out, I mean, you kind of understand why they might be like that, but what's really gotten them to the point that they're at right mm-hmm. now, I think, is the interesting part. Uh, what I love that Boom has been doing, especially with the, the Jim Henson stuff, is, you know, he had the the Witches series that they came out with a while back, and also the current Storyteller, Storyteller Giants series, which I'm reading, which is marvelous in all ways. Uh, they've been doing really, really well with the Jim Henson project, projects. Uh, the Jim Henson projects, I should say, products. And the other thing is, because it's that, I feel like one thing that Jim Henson always did very well, not just with the creatures that he that he had in his movies and how detailed that was, but the setting was always... Really, there was always a lot of detail in what the, in yeah, the setting. Yeah, very lush setting. Very I don't feel detailed. like we got that really in this in the art for this. I don't feel like there was enough detail in the settings. I mean, there, like I said, there were some pages, some panels that were good, but I don't really feel like we got what we could have gotten for this, especially something that I mean, thirty years after you, you get a sequel, I think it's a pretty big deal. So I don't feel like we got totally. What we wanted, but the story is very interesting. So because of that, I'm going to give this a pickup. Okay. Because I am, I, I'm obviously I think, invested in this, but now I need to see where it's going to go from here. I think the interesting thing of, of making this a pickup and not a drop, or even if you want to make it a poll, feel free. You know, for somebody who's listening to this, you've read it, and you like it more than James might have. I think the fact that this is a a sequel that has been not released in theaters is an original idea, yep. original story. I think lends itself to giving it that chance, that three to four issue chance. And this is what you're getting. If you want a sequel to this, this is it. Yeah. I mean, this is what you're going to get. Now, I'm not, and the, the art style might just not be for me, you know. Right. And that that doesn't mean that somebody right. else won't enjoy it. And it doesn't mean it's not good either. It's just it wasn't what I was hoping for. That's that's all. So I mean, it could certainly t- turn itself around in future issues as well. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. So I'm going to give The Power of the Dark Crystals a pickup. And what was your rating again? I gave mine a poll, and of course it was Highlander, The American Dream. Yeah, it was. But that's going to do it. You know, man, we're going to put away the neon. We're going to, we're going to kind of tamper our hair down a little bit, if but you I will. But I like these sunglasses. <laughs> Can we talk about it real quick? Like, in the age of those neon plastic sunglasses, and now they've somehow made a return. Yeah, I actually have a pair in the truck. (laughs) 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 Yep, that happened. Oh, God. (laughs) Not even sorry, Next thing you know, it's like, do you... I know you're not a big person for, like, partying and stuff like that. We were at that hard rock party in D.C. for Awesome Con. You were, were were like, Strickland and Back to the Future standing Every time. But, like, part of me is just, like, there's a hidden part of you that, like, 
raves with those glasses. It was like you're raving sunglasses. <laughs> At least people would know where I am. It would glow. You could follow me throughout the entire party. Doing lines off like old Superman comics. <laughs> you mean fun dip, of course. <laughs> it's green fun dip. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to do for Reem. Come next. Timeless on NBC head season finale. We're going to dive in and to the lifeboat and we're going to discuss what we thought of it. A review of the season finale of Timeless. Come up next. Hi, this is Sean Ryan. And I'm Eric Kripke. And we're the creators of Timeless on NBC, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's kind of weird to be sitting here in February talking about season finales, but yep, we've got our first one because Timeless had their season finale, hopefully not series finale, this past Monday, and dude, I mean, we were talking about this off the air, this is going to be spoiler-filled, by the way, and how did we not see this coming? Well, before we get to that big reveal, I kind of want to highlight what the episode was about, and I want to start off just by kind of highlighting... And Reed's saying what you just said, which is, I really hope we get a second season after what happens. But for pretty much, for those of you who do a quick recap of what happens leading up to that big reveal at the end of the episode. So pretty much, it's they go back to the 1950s, as we saw in last, you know, in the week's previous prior episode, where Flynn finally finds out, hey, there's going to be this big gathering of Rittenhouse people. You want to take them out. You want to get your family back. Here's how you do it. So, of course, they time travel to where else? You know, early 1950s, McCarthy era. You know, McCarthyism is an all-time high, the Red Scare, everything. And I just want to really just highlight that the scenes with Flynn and McCarthy really just made me sit back in my chair and just like, God, McCarthy was a real son of a bitch. It's not even just that. He was just, what people don't understand about McCarthy is just he, he just wasn't right. No, and they had, it's it's the point where fear takes you takes you over so much that you start to kind of lose your mind a little bit, and that right. that was McCarthy. And yeah, he was an asshole. There's no doubt about that. But it was all so fear based. He let fear and you know and and the actually the era that they were in really right. let fear take over so much because of everything that that was going on. Of course, you know, not too far off the heels of World War Two. That that's just that was just their reality, and that's a little scary. And you kind of get to see that in the context. And I thought it was funny when they say he, this guy screams written house because I'm like, yeah, he kind of does. So yeah. I mean, when the whole confrontation, like you said, with him and Flynn, and then him and uh, Wyatt later on in the episode as well, I thought was really compelling. Well, what I liked about it was they didn't just make the – even though the episode was titled, you know, Red Scare, I liked that they didn't make it all about that. They spent the good, right. the good first portion of it about that, and they said, you know what? There's other things we need to deal with in terms of Lucy and everything else that goes on uh, with Rufus and everything else. So, I mean, you know, you go forward to this, of course, Lucy has to <clears> – <throat> she meets her grandfather, and there's, you know, really – you want to bring about the whole rush, red scare in Russia? You know, it turns out her grandfather is was gay or is gay, and he had kind of a double life. So yeah. pretty much this whole, which was very interesting to see. And then not only that, but she. If you want to talk about what this thing this episode does is this literally is one where everybody in a picture a, a table full of poker players and everybody shows their hand. Like she tells her grandfather about the time machine. She shows yep. him it. 
it shows them wor- it working. And and not only that, but like she's like, I'm your granddaughter, and and just gives all these things. And she pretty much enlists him for like fifty or so years to be this double agent in Rittenhouse, mm-hmm. which was super awesome. And then there was some revelations later on. You see, with a couple of characters, kind of like you think they're evil and they turn out to be good and, and really you know going anti Rittenhouse. So really, this was a show. And, and you mentioned something off air too uh, uh, about this episode. This episode, for like a good half of it, I'd say up until like the last however so minutes, I'd say about the last 10, 15 minutes. I would minutes, go 10 minutes, yeah. Yeah, it felt like, oh my God, are they like going to try to close everything up because they might not get renewed for a second season or are you know, they're not going to leave anything open? And, and it felt like that, man. It felt like, you know what, there are certain times where they're like, if they ended this right now without giving that kind of that last five to seven minutes – like that kind of been a great wrap up actually if you, if you just get one season out of this thing and then you get that last five to seven minutes right. <laughs> that was right. just exactly it. everything that happened with, with Flynn of course again a lot of spoilers here in case you didn't notice uh, with Flynn getting arrested and almost maybe the turn not turn of that agent and then the, everything that went down with her mom at the end my god I mean even before we get to that everything that happened with Gia. In the hospital. And let's talk about that for a second before we get to the mom. The whole her visions kind of thing. And to me, I think that she's seeing time schisms or things that may or may not be happening in the timeline. But I want to go back to something else that you said we were talking about off the air. And a theory that you had that I I actually think has some pretty good merit. Yeah. So, of course, in the episode, it's highlighted by, you know, Rufus and stuff that like, hey, the... Lifeboat, the time machine, can only have three people in it, and there's never been a fourth, and so on and so forth like that. And so pretty much you're like, well, wait a minute. A theory I had was, you know, why she was seeing those, you know, you say there's schisms. We don't know what they really are. So part of it was kind of like, oh, please don't tell me she's going to be able to time travel and, you know, be a traveler and stuff like that. But part of me is kind of like, wait a minute. They're buckled in very securely, like a NASA, like a NASA space shuttle, when they time travel. Could that be because that way their bodies are leveled to the ground as close to it as it possibly be when they're going through that wormhole, and their mind or whatever is not traveling through different, you know, times and spaces and stuff like that? So could it be kind of like a limbo situation where the seatbelts are being buckled in and strapped in like they are when they go on their adventures? is a way for them to not fall into limbo. Right, exactly. And that's and that's the key element about it is that when you're traveling through time in theory, you are in a limbo-like state as you're going across time and space. And of course, it's a function of speed, it's a function of vibration, all these different things that have been, pro- you know, that have been talked about with with time travel. So if you're just kind of sitting there or you're like on somebody's lap or something like that, you can't you can't do that. So of course, there are going to be different effects than somebody that is strapped in tightly like you said, and we don't know that these seats don't have some sort of property in them, like they're made from a certain kind of metal that kind of has a certain immunity to the person that's, that's sitting in it or something like that. And I'm sure that that's something they get into if, if think, hopefully we get a second season to this show. But it's, it's very possible that that is what happens. And like you said, we don't know what it is yet, but clearly this has affected her in some way. And, and, it, and it gives them... I think unlimited potential to go forward with the show because we talked about off the air plenty of times like, okay, we love the show and it's great, but how far can they go with Rittenhouse? But now you introduce this with Gia, 
And it feels like even once Rittenhouse thing is over, this gives them the opportunity to potentially go into even more storylines here. Right, and of course with Rittenhouse, as it was shown later on into the episode, that hey, you know, they're making all these arrests because of Lucy's grandfather being this double agent for them and collecting all this information, all this converse, all these conversations are pretty much, you know, they're busting people all over the place, having ties to them. So they're kind of getting close to everything. At least you think. And then the end reveal happens and you're like, oh my God, my mind was blown away by what happens at the end. So if you want to let people know, for those of you who haven't seen it, James, let them know what happens at the end of this episode. Uh, when Lucy talks to her mom, she tells her everything that's been going on and telling her about her sister and how she's going to, one more time, she's going to go back in time, get the sister back, and the mom's not really buying it. And then you get the big bombshell that mom has been house this entire time. And I'm like, holy shit, what just happened? Right, and the thing is, again, I think we're talking about off air. You know, we were talking about you know, how could we over have overseen this? How could we have not tied the pieces together? And you know, you mentioned it, you know, before, when the review started. And the thing was, is like, you know, the whole the whole attention was on her sister and getting her sister back, and really, you know, so it, it made you overlook certain things like, wait a minute, her dad's written house. Her grandfather's written house. So it's God, like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, you think yeah. clear as day. Like, let's see, da- grand- grandpa's written house, her great-grandfather. Like, all, pretty much all the men in her life are written house. So obviously, like, her mom had to have some sort of inkling or realization about it or whatever. And she goes, no, she goes, you, your father and I, how do you think we met? And we're, yep. like, like Montagues and Caplets in a sense, except we get along with one another and we're very powerful. So you're technically written house royalty. And I'm like... Wait, did the mom know about these adventures the entire time and, and everything else that has happened? And that Lucy would come to her and tell her these things. When I gotta tell you, when Lucy, when I saw her standing behind her mother before she tells her all everything that's been going on, I'm like, Lucy, please don't tell your mom. I know you want to tell yeah, her, like, yeah. don't, I know you want to make peace and say have your final goodbye. If you want to say goodbye, that's one thing. But if you, for you to say like, oh, it's all this stuff, man, it, it don't know. Here's what I love about what they did, though, because they could have easily, Sean and Eric, who are the the showrunners, co-creators of the show, could have easily done it a different way. They could have had it where we don't, where Lucy doesn't tell her anything, but her mom gets arrested, and that's how she finds out that her mom's been written out the whole time. Her mom gets arrested in front of her. They could have easily done that, but the way they did it this way, I like that they did it this way, because it opens the door for so many things and it was so much more to me emotionally jarring to do it this way than possibly doing it that way so props to to sean ryan and eric kripke for for doing it this way and 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 another reason that i really really hope we're getting a second season of this show and i like the fact that they did the reveal the way they did as well mostly because if they had done it the way you said where lucy was coming home to say goodbye to her mom and her mom was being put into the back of a police car they really a they would have felt really out of place because there was really no build up towards that, no real actual reveal outside of that moment. And to me, it's kind of like again, it's like well, you diffused everything, you know. Like Flynn is pretty much going to be in prison now. At least we think he's going to be in prison after his trial. We don't know what's going to happen there. And you know, he's feels he's been betrayed by Lucy, even though we don't. Even who knows? She's like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. 
Maybe she did. And she's, Maybe you know, she we did, don't, yeah. We don't, we don't know. But you look at everything else, and you look at the, everything with the mom and just Rittenhouse, and you're like, okay, this goes deeper. You've uncovered this next level of, of, of dirt here. So, again, I think it's, it's a smart way of continuing this. And, you know, I got to say this, and I tweeted this out earlier. I said, you know, it, the reveal was a, a mind-blowing reveal, but it was also a daring reveal because the one thing I dislike a lot in television is before a show – I know a lot of shows get picked up after the season's over for the next season, get renewed, whatnot. But you have those shows, of course, that know they're getting a, you know multiple seasons and, and stuff like that. It's when you do stuff like that, you leave kind of like those open tethers, if you will, mm-hmm. and those big reveals, and then you get canceled, and then we don't have any actual resolution, you know? Yeah, and I want to go back to a story the Deadline had a few a few weeks ago, and, and Timeless was mentioned in the story about possible renewal of timeless and they were talking about how the, apparently the network this was according to deadline really really likes the show they really believe in the show but they were a little disappointed that the show didn't do as well in the time slot as say like blind spot did before they moved it and and the blacklist way back when when they had that as well they were surprised that the ratings weren't as good but deadline also reported that for the i think it was the february 6th episode alone uh, whatever the first episode was in February, the the live plus with the DVRs and the and the streaming the, increased the rating by 117 percent. So you it, it, we are in the day and age now where you absolutely positively have to factor that in when you're talking about the renewal or cancellation of a show. So I just really hope that and maybe we're talking about this and and, and you know this is days later after us recording this and, and we finally have gotten the news the timeless has been renewed. I hope that that's the case. But if it's not the case, I, I hope the network, at leading up to May, when a lot of these announcements are made of cancellation or retaining a show for another season, I hope that, that all that stuff is factored in. But the good news is is that it seems like the network really does believe in this show. And I think that that's something you hit the nail on the head as well is that, you know, we are in this age of DVR and a lot of people – I know for me, for example, I when, you know, I don't watch shows live. I mean I have ability ability to watch TV live. I really do. But – I'm just like, you know, I can watch, I have a Hulu subscription. I can just watch a lot of these shows the day after they come out and stuff like that. Or they're free on the website. You know, I got to watch ads. They're still free. I can watch at my leisure. And that's what people in, in studios have to realize that. I think they're starting to realize that. As much as we really hope that we, you know, people hope that we do, we no longer, I think, live in the watch it now, you got to watch this now television. I think outside of tweeting, people do that. That's the reason why I think a lot of people do that because they can tweet with the stars and stuff yeah, like sure, that because yeah. we live in the social media age. But really, we live in the watch TV at your leisure stage because we don't have to buy VHS tapes and, you know, record a show on a VCR at certain times or whatever, you know. So we have the ability to watch them at our leisure. So I think you do have to take in the DVR ratings. I I would like to believe that when it comes to stuff like Hulu, etc., that people like NBC, studios like NBC and CBS and whatnot – are able to look at the ratings, see, okay, how many people are watching this on streaming sites and everything else and Netflix and everything. I, w- I would think they, they're privy to that information. But I, again, I think that that's going to be key going forward is just studios realizing that the time of the era of TV has, has really changed right now in terms of leisure. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I really hope that, uh, that the pending litigation – uh, for for the show that that lawsuit that happened, I really hope that that doesn't affect the show going forward either, because I know that that's still a pending thing. But I really think that the that the network really really does believe in this show, and hopefully we get a second season of Timeless, because it seems like everybody on the cast would absolutely be on board for a second season. 
And I think so. Just real quick, I want to kind of shed some light on that litigation thing you're talking about. There's just allegedly this was another person's idea, and they pretty much said that they took our idea. It's a whole Facebook thing with the yeah. Winklevoss and twins, it pretty be much. The, wouldn't be the first time that somebody claimed that, and it was complete BS. We don't know the entire story, of course. Right. But, I mean, these sorts of things happen. I mean, it's it's happened to other shows like Lucifer and stuff like that in, in, in different ways with, like, the theme songs and all that stuff. So this is stuff that does happen. I, I really hope that that doesn't play a role in this. Right. I don't think it will. But you know what? This is the end of the first season of Timeless, so I think we can – Give our ratings on it because yeah, we don't know at the time we're recording if it's going to get picked up for a second season or not. We hope it does, but uh, I'll go first. I felt that when you we saw that first episode with the Hindenburg and everything that happened throughout and how, you know, one thing I liked that they didn't harp on too much every episode was it's like, hey, we go in the past, black guy, woman, so we're going to harp on this every episode. I liked that there were episodes where – it was more of a background thing. It wasn't much in the forefront. And it really didn't hamper down on the story. And you really felt about these characters in more ways than one outside of what they looked like. And they were smart. And they were, you know, just they, – they really, as the season goes along, there were times where they kind of disagreed with one another. But you still felt like they were really close as a family over these episodes. And they really – tied together and that why it wasn't always that loose cannon you know there was times where you're like yeah he's kind of gone off the ridge a little bit but you know what he is a soldier he's a guy who thinks tactically like this you know so i can see his point of view and so forth but i i like that the, what they did with the whole story and just the way that the unveiling of rent house was and again when you have that big of a reveal at the end where lucy's mom is rittenhouse and how deep does this really go and how is this going to affect Lucy going back and saying, you know, I need to have my parents meet. And now it's like, well, the Rin house. So I, do I not let them meet? Do I, by do not doing that, do I erase my own existence? Do I have different parents? What's the deal? So there's a lot of things that are jumped up in the air. And I loved everything about this. I'm going to give this nine out of 10 lifeboats. Absolutely, man. I mean, I'll, I'll echo a lot of the stuff you just said. And also the team building aspect uh, of Rufus, and Wyatt, and Lucy, the way they brought that team together and the way that they, they had them have their problems and then they worked them out over time. It wasn't just an instant fix. They sort of worked things out over the course of a couple of episodes and and how they, they weren't really a team in the beginning. And then they just the way that they built this team, I think, was really, really great. And I mean, the other thing is the respect that they have yes. for the messing up or keeping the, the timeline yes. the way it's supposed to be, where if anything ever happened, not only did they were they you know vis- visibly upset about what happened, but they also took steps to try and make sure that even though something did change, that they could fix the timeline as much as possible before they left. It wasn't just, you know, oh, Benedict Arnold is dead. Ah, well, what are you going to do kind of thing, you know? It was it was something that they had a deep respect and admiration for, and there was always a, well, you can't do this because of this feel. And the other thing that I love that they did not do in this show was that they didn't fall into the trap of the love story. Yes, yes, there were moments between Wyatt and Lucy, and yes, that will probably be something that we see going forward, but in this first season, they absolutely could have made that a constant kind of underlying theme or out-in-the-forefront theme of this show. They did not. They focused on the core of the story, which was the most important part of this. The love story actually ended up being more of Rufus and Gia, which was a nice surprise. Right. And I liked their dynamic as well. And everything that happened with Connor Mason and Rufus, I thought that there was a lot of good emotion there. 
So they focused on different types of relationships and they focused on a different type of story than the than the easy one that was sitting right there in front of them. So props to the team there for not taking the easy way out in the show. And that's one of the reasons that I have to give this show 9 out of 10 motion sickness pills out of 10. I really quickly want to highlight some things real quick you just mentioned in your in your rating. I want to start with the whole love story thing. I like that they didn't do that. I think if they had done that, it really would have erased the whole, well, wait a minute, why is he trying to save his wife, but why is he hooking up with Lucy? So right. that's why, you know, mm-hmm. you know that's that's kind of, it would ruin his character. And also, I like that you mentioned the whole rules thing. When you do a, a time travel show, and one thing that this show, as you said, does r- amazingly well is it's aware of its rules and it doesn't break them. And if it ever is a point where they do break the rules... And something happens, something's altered. I mean, shit, we see it just from the first episode. It deeply affects the characters. And they don't, you know, we talk, I mean, I'm going to say it. You know, we look at a show like Legends of Tomorrow. And back in the first season of that show, it's like we cannot disrupt the timeline. It needs to be perfect and, and everything else. But now that Rip has gone evil and Sarah's heading everything, it's like, yeah, we can do this. We can do that. Oh, there's a statue that looks like Rory in DC. That's no big deal. You know, it's like. Um, the whole part of being a time master and even a legend is making sure shit's not fucked up, but right, yet exactly. you find ways to fuck up and you don't really care at the end because, hey, we still have family. It's like, yeah, but there are people where by your actions and killing all those people and whatever might not have a fucking family. Right. You know? and, like, and, and actually what's, what's interesting is that most of the changes on Timeless were made by Flynn. Other right. than a couple of pretty obvious examples if you've been watching the first season. Those changes were made by the quote-unquote bad guy. It wasn't made by the team. And it wasn't just something that got laughed off if anything ever got changed. So I think that that was a very important differentiation between this show and other shows like it. And that's going to do it for this week in Geek Tam. Coming up next, we have a plethora of nerd news. Stick around. More Down Nerdy is coming up next. This is Arvind Ethan David, executive producer of Dirt Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time we go around the interwebs once again this week. It's our 151st time doing so. And it's time for what? Nerd, nerd News! And this is like a theme that happens with this show. So, of course, our shows go up on Friday. But as soon as we put up the show, major news comes out. Of course, this was from uh, previous Friday. Kevin Smith, of course, we all know and love Kevin Smith. James and I went to go see him talk at his panel at Awesome Con. It was hilarious, and he's an amazing storyteller. He is bringing Spawn to BBC America. Now, it's not the Spawn you think it is with Al Simmons. It's going to be Sam and Twitch, and it's going to be more of a uh, procedural show. Yeah, as a matter of fact, when they were talking about the show that's going to be coming to BBC America, they were ta- they were talking about it in a way that's going to be a, and this is a quote from uh, from Sarah Barnett, who is one of the people over at BBC America, the president and general manager, who said, in a very modern, contemporary way, it's going to be a procedural, and it's going to be with super grisly crimes that are connected to the occult. So, Nick, you being the Spawn fan that you are, first of all, how excited are you about this? And second of all, how much do you think this works on television? As a Spawn fan, I'm not going to lie, I... Sam and Twitch, like, they're cool, but they're, like, you know, they're a spinoff and everything else like that. I mean, sure, why not? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, I mean, I'm trying to think how I really feel about this because 
the thing is, for a long time, this is why I think I'm happy that it's coming. At least we're getting a, a show like this, or at least something like this from the Spawn universe uh, in one way or another. Because for a long time, Todd McFarlane has been pretty much saying, you know, I'm working on a sequel to Spawn. Working on a sequel to Spawn. And, of course, there was him talking about a while ago, like, hey, when I do a sequel to Spawn, it's not, it might not be with Al Simmons or have Spawn in it. He might just be more like an entity, kind of an outside entity. And it's going to be more... You know, salmon twitch style and human esque and stuff like that. And again, it's just delayed, delayed, delayed. It's gotten to the point pretty much where it's kind of like in your terms of Constantine. We're bringing Constantine back. It's like, don't tease me. So it's like whenever I see Tom McFarlane gives this, gives you know discussions about a Spawn yeah. sequel, I'm like, this isn't news. He talks about it every week. But to know that okay, we're getting something. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I'm happy that it's at least something. Yeah. Um, it's not what I had hoped to be getting, <laughs> but obviously not. <laughs> I mean, I'm staring at my, my, you know, spawn art piece that I have. I'm hanging on my wall and I'm just staring at it. I'm like, man, I really wish it was just spawn, but I understand the reason for just doing, Hey, it's something, it's salmon twitch, you know, let's do whatever. I, I hope it works out. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Kevin does this. I think but he's absolutely the right guy to do this. I think so, too. I know some people are like, oh, it's Kevin Smith, whatever. I'm like, yeah, but we've seen that, you know, Kevin, Kevin Smith does. I know it's just an episode, but when he does an episode of Supergirl, or I want to point back to his episode he did The Flash, which was, uh, I believe it was called, like, The Good Dinosaur, or The Lonely Dinosaur, or something like that. And that, I think, was one of the most heartfelt episodes oh, and yeah. one of the best episodes of the flash of course if people who don't remember that's the episode where barry's trapped in the speed force and he kind of gets the talk has a talk with his mom of like you have to let me go and and mm-hmm. do your own thing and i mean it was really emotional it was really well done so i think that now you're giving him control of this whole series it's again it's on bbc america i mean i don't think it's as big of a risk as people think it might be i think that it's gonna be interesting i'm gonna watch an episode or two and you know we'll see how it goes yeah, I mean, because, I mean, you don't know. I mean, he, he was supposed to be working on Buckaroo Banzai. Of course, that doesn't seem like that's happening now. And, of course, uh, Clerks 3 doesn't seem like that's happening now either. So, I mean, what what's a perfect thing to be working on right now? A little something that's, you know, not, not his and something that's from the comics that he can adapt, which is something that I think Kevin Smith has really wanted to jump into for a while now. So I think that this is kind of a perfect marriage here and maybe this show succeeds and it leads to something in the larger spawn universe and i i think that's kind of what everybody's hoping for not just for this to be a good show but that it's so good and so well received that maybe it leads to the thing that you really want and i want to point to another show on bbc america that we just can't stop ranting and raving about of course it's uh dirk gently and and you know so it's kind of you look at what bbc america did with dirk gently i know arvin is deeply involved with it and stuff like that uh, you know but when you look at just uh, things in general, it's kind of like, okay, BBC America has kind of got a good track record in terms of who they put in charge of shows and everything else like that. So, and again, I think that reason why I think a lot of people are, might be worried about it or whatever is because I think it's something we haven't really seen a lot of, you know, Sam and Twitch oh, and everything else not, like yeah. that. I mean, they're, they're known characters, of course, but uh, I think that, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of them or really, you know, it's not like with Superman and Batman and Supergirl where you have video game versions of them and all this other stuff. You can build a base stuff off of, you know, so it's kind of like new territory. So I think that's why people are more kind of like, ah, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can absolutely understand that. And uh, so, I mean, again, we'll see how it goes. But staying within kind of the creative realm, if you will, of, of live action stuff, of course, Deadpool is filming its sequel right now. And 
Guess what? Of course, they're going to bring in Cable. And with Cable, you get X-Force. And X-Force has been announced that they have a writer for X-Force. Now, it was talked about that he was going to be a director, but it doesn't know, we don't know if it's going to happen or not. But, hey, they got a writer for X-Force. Absolutely, and it's going to be Joe Carnahan, which, of course, he worked on the A-Team movie. It was The Grey, Smoking Aces, and there's another one coming up called Bad Boys for Life that he's going to be working on as well. And, of course, you can't have a Deadpool-related movie without having Ryan Reynolds attached to, to write as well. So, I mean, we're looking at, what, like 2019, 2020 for something like this? So, I mean, so there's still a way to go. I think was Deadpool 2 comes out 2018, I believe. I'm not sure if there's a release date on it yet, but I want to say 2018. I think it is 2018, yeah. So I would say 2020 if we're doing like every other year. Like if we're doing all even years, and I would say I would say 2020. But we have fan of ours actually write on our Facebook and ask us a question. It was, hey, with X-Force coming out, will we see Rachel Summers make an appearance in the X-Force movie? Now, I don't think we will. I think that because I know they're showing Cable introducing him in Deadpool 2. But I think that given X-Force's beginnings and how it was a team consisted of, you know, Boom Boom, Cable, you had Cannonball in there, you had Shatterstar, you had Warpath and uh, and Feral in there, and Domino, of course. I think it's going to be kind of like an origin-esque kind of film where it's going to be just focused on the original team. And I think that they're going to be taking on the Mutant Liberation Front. So I think as far as Rachel goes, I think that we'll see her more maybe as a teaser towards the end of the first movie or she'll be like somebody I think we'll see later on because yeah, in, in, in the films. And I think a lot of that has to do with how successful Cable is in these movies, you know? I mean, we you just automatically assume that it's going to work just because of how well Deadpool's gone, but I mean, depending on casting and how Cable's written, I mean, if, if fans don't enjoy it, they might, you know, just try and ditch him after X-Force or something for all we know. So, I mean, for... I think a lot of it is dependent on how Cable does or how they choose to use Rachel. Maybe it's in a different X-Men movie for all we know. We don't know how they want to structure it. I mean, I think you have to have Domino if you're going to do X-Force. I think that just because of Olivia Munn, they might throw Psylocke in there. Who knows uh, exactly what they want to do. But, I mean, for the here and now, I think that they've got plenty to work with in the X-Force. And if she works in it, they'll use her. If she doesn't, they're not just going to force her in there. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting to see how they script it. But the one thing that has me really hopeful for this film is, of course, Ryan Reynolds has pretty much full control of and final say of things that happen within that Deadpool universe and the movies that follow it, I would say. So I think that, hey, if he's comfortable with Carnahan and the way that he wants to take this movie, hey, I'm for it. I mean, shit, we saw how... You know how he cared, much he cared about Deadpool, and look how that turned out. You know, right? Exactly. I mean, it just seems like the recipe is here. But I mean, since we're looking, literally looking on one movie ahead, you know, you never know. You can't just assume that uh, that things are just going to work out. And just like also, I mean, look what happened. People just assumed he was going to be the director, and then of course, ComicBook.com reports in the story that no, 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 he's not necessarily the director. He's just a co-writer right now. So you know, I kind of hold it. So we, I think we have to kind of hold. Uh, anything like that until at least after Deadpool 2, then we can start musing on who's going to be in the X-Force movie. Yeah, so again, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this works out. I want to, I'm actually excited to see 
And a lot of people are excited to see who they cast for Cable. I'm kind of more excited to see who they cast for Domino. I'm really interested in yeah. seeing who they pick. I know that Kerry Washington's the hot name right now, so I, th- I think you know, obviously she'd be able to pull that off. Whether or not she'd be available or even want to do it is another story. But, I mean, there's plenty of good options that you could choose, so I'm excited for that too. And moving on to our third story, James. It's a connecting story comes from something we talked about last week, which, of course, is the whole DC Looney Tunes crossover. And guess what? We found out! Our boy, Tom King, he's going to be doing the Batman-Elmer Fudd crossover. And I mean, one of the things that you kind of pointed out that, that he he said on Twitter was when he said, did I mention that I'm currently writing an Elmer Fudd Batman noir? And I was like, ooh, there's that word noir. This is going to be good stuff. I mean, as, as if having Tom involved wasn't going to be great already, then we find out it's going to be a noir style. Yeah, boy, I'm in now for sure. I can just imagine opening up, or just imagine Tom writing that script for opening Albuquerque on a dusty night, and it's just narration of Albuquerque, land of sand and rocks. Uh, (laughs) I mean, pretty much, right? Yeah, and just like Elmer, it's just Elmer falling with a toothpick, just flicking it like like against the cactus or the hell, you know, and stuff like that, just. Real trying to be badass. It's it's gonna be interesting for sure to see how they he does this. And he's gonna set in a noir setting. So you know it'll be pretty interesting if he's gonna set this in a noirish setting. I know the story might be just modern times or just with a noirish feel, but if he took it back to like old school like nineteen fifties Batman look, if he changed the look of Batman to like an older noirish look, that'd be pretty interesting. Ooh. That would be pretty interesting. And I mean, who better to write this story of, of a hunt and, you know, kind of like a hunt type scenario than a former CIA agent, right? I mean, yeah. he wasn't doing good enough as it is with the, with the ongoing Batman series to throw him in this realm and do this. It just makes perfect sense to me. And James, our final story this week deals with criticism. And the reason why we're talking about this story is, you know, we don't talk about lawsuits a lot, but this one really really, really hits home and close to us who review stuff for, you know, as a job and stuff like that. It's a full-time job. We review things and stuff and comics and movies and TVs and whatnot. And uh, Jim Sterling is a YouTube critic. He, or I should say he's, he's a video game critic who posts videos on YouTube called the Jimquisition. I watch them every week. And he had a pretty uh, thing that's been going on for about a year, I would say, with a, a developer called Digital Homicide. And James, I know you can get some more information about this, but pretty much for about a year, they were going after him because he gave what they saw as a a bad, not only a bad review, but a review that like made him lose money and just taking over his life for about a year. I mean, that was definitely the claim by Digital Digital Homicide in this $10 million lawsuit right. against Jim Sterling. So, I mean, that's what they're claiming because, I mean, Jim Sterling ripped this game slaughtering grounds to absolute... Oh, yeah. And I mean, the the thing that they were kind of pointing to in this whole thing was that they claimed that originally he called the game a, quote, absolute failure. And there you're saying, well, you haven't played the game enough or you're playing it wrong. How can you say that? And that's when this whole lawsuit started, which was recently thrown out by a judge. But I want to point out that particular part of the story where they were saying that he was playing it wrong. Yeah. Listen, in my opinion... This is a game, and this is what happens when developers take themselves too seriously. At the end of the day, yes, this is for people to make money. I know the pride in programmers. I'm a former programmer myself. I know the pride that comes into that. But you cannot tell someone that they're playing a game 
incorrectly, okay? I mean, if you just want to throw on Batman Arkham Asylum and spend the entire time just chasing Riddler trophies and not doing a, a story, you're not playing the game wrong. You're playing the game the way you choose to play the damn game. So, I mean, I don't think that you can make that claim, so I think that that was one of the BS claims of this whole thing. Well, I think that another problem I had with this as well, I mean, we're going to get more into this in a second, but uh, the fact of saying, he didn't, oh, you didn't log enough hours in it. Hey, if I'm playing a game and I'm not taken away by it in the first however minutes I play by it, I'm playing it, I can say, hey, it's a bad game. It didn't grab me the way it should have. And, I mean, he showed his review and stuff like that and just, you know, he's saying the controllers are bad. I mean, it's not a good game, and we can say that. It's not a good game. And what made this even worse was they went after people who gave it bad reviews on Steam. Yeah. Like, like, like bad, like saying, hey, this game's not good. And they're, and they attributed it to Sterling. And it's like, hey, and they're, and they're suing them for like 18 million. Like, there's over 100 people, too. So it's like, this is what the problem is. You know, and, and Sterling in one of his videos highlights, like, hey, there was another game I played which wasn't great. And I, you know, gave it a bad review. And the guy, the developer said, you know what? You know, he took it as as a man and said, you know what, yeah, I'll work on it. And, and you know, he took, the, he took the criticism. And that's what happens when people can't take criticism. They think that their stuff is greater than it really is. When it's, and when it turns out that it's not, they get all pissy and they start banning people and they start stripping things away. And this opens up a whole Pandora's box that I want to get to right now, which is if – you know, we're in a, again, as I mentioned, we're in the critique game. We critique things every week on the show. And I know some of our opinions that we have aren't popular with certain people, probably. Here's the thing, though. You cannot silence people and, and censor people because they give your stuff a bad review. Because it's really their opinion. Like, it's their actual fucking opinion. You can't do it. There's no grounds for them to say for, for that. And the moment, and if the judge didn't dismiss it, by the way, he the judge dismissed this with prejudice, which means that they can no longer go after Sterling. So this is this this yeah. whole thing is done. This thing's dead in the water. So really, if but if it was reversed, if it went forward, it's like, well, shit, that's gonna hurt journalism because people can't be, you know, they can't critique a game as much as they want to. Like that's a problem. I'm not gonna name names of certain places. But when you when I watch certain videos, I watch certain reviews, and I notice the timing that they get them, and and I've pieced things together. I'm like, they're literally just kissing ass. And I notice sometimes they'll have somebody on to promote something with the game or whatever. I'm like, you're just kissing this person's ass, and it's a bad game. And it's just it already it's taking a little bit of a hit in terms of some journalistic tendencies where you're seeing differently on reviews. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm looking at this as a whole. I'm like. People are going to have different opinions. They're going to dislike things. Just because somebody dislikes things, and you're, you know, if there's somebody came to me and said, your show sucks, I would be like, okay, why do you think that? And they would, if they had proper critiques, I'd be like, okay, I'll think about that. I might not attribute it to the show, but I'm noticed of that now. I will, I, I'll look into that. You know what I'm saying? Like People got to be able to take fucking criticism. You can't enter any realm of entertainment in any capacity without being able to take criticism and i realize that some of it can be tough like if somebody says your show sucks or your show's a piece of shit and they don't give you a reason why yeah that's frustrating yeah that's going to upset you especially because i'm sure you don't think that but at the same time 
That's one person's opinion, first of all, and I realize that Jim Sterling's opinion carries a lot of weight, okay? But at the end of the day, even Jim Sterling would, would admit this. In one of his videos, he even says, I'm not really that famous, even though a lot right. of people would disagree with that. But at the end of the day, Jim Sterling's opinion is just one opinion, and whether you think his opinions on this particular game were valid or not... I mean, that that's for someone else to decide as well. But the second you can't, as in the entertainment business, accept criticism, you're, you're kind of done, aren't you? I mean, you, you have yeah. to be able to do that. And the thing is, is you know what's even scarier than having bad reviews? Having no reviews at all. So Digital right. Homicide's really, you know, creating a very interesting problem possibly for themselves and that... People are going to be so scared to talk about their games now because they're so worried about being lumped into some sort of a lawsuit, whether it just be on a message board on Steam or whatever. They're just not going to review the games at all. So what's what's worse, having some bad reviews for your games or having no reviews at all? Because if you go to buy a game that has no reviews at all, you're going to be like, well, I wonder why there's no reviews for this game. It must not be that good or not a lot of people must be buying it. It's the same exact problem, and you're not going to have all positive reviews. There's going to be times where there's going to be more negative than positive reviews. I mean, look at how many negative reviews Batman vs. Superman got. Warner Brothers didn't turn around and sue, like, Entertainment Weekly or all all these other places that might have given it bad reviews. I'm not sure what Entertainment Weekly's review was, but all these places that gave the movie bad reviews, they didn't turn around and sue because, you know what, you just take that either with a grain of salt or you take all the criticisms that you got and use that to help you moving forward because that's how adults do things. Right, and really the thing with this whole story in general is, and I'm going to say this right now, I love Jim Sterling stuff. I like Jim Sterling because in his videos, and he makes a big point of this, which I love, and I wish more people in journalism did, he's not afraid to call out big developers. He's not afraid to say, your shit sucks and here's why. And he's talked about numerous videos where he's like, yeah, I'm labeled a wild card where I don't, might not get a game early to, to play where I went to go out and buy it myself because the publishers, the developers are afraid that I'm going to give it a bad review and they, I can't be trusted on. And, and so I like that though. I like that he has that transparency and that's what makes him, I think one of the best reviewers out there call out major studios out on their shit. You know, it's, and that's the thing, and, and no matter how big or small they are. And also a story we didn't talk about, which came out like a week or so ago, about the whole Steam Greenlight and how they're changing how what kind of games get on there because the problem with Steam and the whole Greenlight stuff is you're having terrible games put on there. Multiple, multiple hundreds of games are put on there. Uh, I believe like 2016 alone was like all like, like it was like, over 50%, I believe, or whatever, of their games on Steam Greenlight were in that, like, one year, which is amazing, and a lot of them were bad. And now it's like, okay, we're going to have to make the, the fee higher to get your game put on Steam Greenlight and stuff like that, and, and voting and everything else. So they're cleaning that up. The criticisms, to me, are valid. And like you said, you love Jim Sterling. I do too. But whether you like him or not, the guy has a right, right to give his opinion on a game just as much as you do or I do or anybody that listens to the show does. You have the right to give your opinions. And with social media blowing up as it is, guess what? You're getting more opinions on everything, whether you like it or not. And if you're not ready to accept that, then that's something that you need to be looking at. You don't need to be projecting that forward. And big sh- yeah, if you can't handle it, then get, out, then get out of the way because Jim fucking Sterling's son is coming for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I mean, just, you know, a, a final t- thing on this again, I think that 
the reason why we're talking about this, actually, another reason why we're talking about this is because, again, it, it's the whole silencing of, of journalists, the silencing of critics, uh, which is unfair for the most part. And again, if you don't like a review, that's an opinion. You know, just you can take it as opinions and work with it. And if you want to use it to make a better game or movie or whatever, so be it. If you don't, whatever. It's just a person's opinion. And, right. Such and, and such is good, such and right. such is bad, and here's why. Right, and and all you can hope for is you're a studio or a show or whatever, a comic book publisher, take what people say and then say, okay, they don't like it, well, let's see, how can we make it better, you know, and, and stuff like that. And then just take it to that. Don't be dicks about it and serve people with million-dollar lawsuits yeah. and stuff like that and try to silence them, you know, and try to and, ruin them. And don't be stupid by giving the most publicity to a bad review. Right. I am sure that there is somebody out there that loved this game and they could have plastered that all over every advertisement that they had or just made that the feature review on Steam or whatever. But no, you spent all this time and all this money to try and scare a critic, try and scare a reviewer because they had a bad review, and now that's all anybody that's talking about instead of your game. Bravo. Exactly. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. Come next. We'll be joined by comic book writer Matt Kent to talk about a variety of projects he has over at Valiant. Stay tuned. Our interview with Matt Kent is coming up next. Hey, what's up? This is Brandon Champ Robinson, the director of the Harley Quinn web series, and you're listening to the coolest nerds ever on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I think it's safe to say that this is a guy we've wanted to have on the show for a long time, and now just seemed like the right time with everything going on with Valiant, with Divinity 3, and the Stalinverse, and Ninjak, and Exo Man of War, and so many great things that this guy's working on. It's writer Matt Kent. Matt, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. Like I said, we've been wanting to have you on for a long time. As a matter of fact, Divinity has always been one of my favorite series in the Valiant universe, and I love that this third book has that really big arc feel. So do you feel like things have progressed in a way that you originally planned and allowed the story to kind of come full circle now? Yeah, honestly, I think Divinity's Divinity's sort of an oddball series, you know, as far as like me and my career, and then I think just in comics in general. I was honestly I was thinking about it yesterday. Um because people were tweeting about the whatever the ending of issue three, and I was like, oh, and I'm so far ahead. I was like, well, how does issue three end? I couldn't remember. So I, remember <laughs> <how it looked. laughs> I was like, oh yeah, okay, I see why they got a reaction. But uh, no, I, what's funny about Divinity is it's to me it's unique in that I, especially with Valiant, I was they let me just have free reign and come up with a character from scratch. You know, that didn't have any sort of like nostalgia factor going into it. You know, and uh, and basically just sketch out a, a arc for this character that's stretched over whatever it's going to be at least 12 issues um you know from the start and just sort of let my imagination run wild and, and take this character kind of through the valiant universe but also be its own weird thing um which isn't i don't like honestly w- with work for hire and anything that's not me owning the character or, or doing it all myself it it's rare that you get that opportunity to just do something like that with a character from scratch and then you basically take it in whatever direction you want and sort of outline like a year's worth of you know a year or two worth of stories ahead of time it's you know credit to valiant you know as a publisher that's why i work with them for letting me do stuff like that 
And, you know, Matt, I'm glad that we're talking about this whole creating characters from scratch because, you know, as we look at the Valiant Universe, uh, you know, as a whole, there are a lot of characters and series you yourself are involved with as a writer. So when you're in control of as many of these characters in this one particular universe, uh, what are some guidelines you like to follow when it comes to just the world building and the characteristics of the characters and just the construction of them and their arcs? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's a pre-existing character, you know, or a character that other writers have worked on, you, you got to be respectful of that, you know. And so I'm always, I do keep track of everything and read everybody else's stuff and and kind of see what they're doing with the character so that it doesn't seem like, uh, like I hate, I would hate to take a character and be like, oh, I'm just going to do my own, this is Matt Kent's version of whatever, Jack or Livewire or any, you know, I want to, there's a core character there. Um, that you have to be faithful to, and, and especially with XO, because you know, 50 issues of XO that Rob did, you know, are amazing. And and to come in after that, and you, you can't just ignore that that happened. You know, it's it's right. a lot. You know, and and the work he did, um, I have huge respect for. So it, that's part of the, to me, the fun of doing things like this with the shared universe is that you you end up collaborating with other writers and sort of everybody takes their turn adding a new brick to the wall um, and, and developing a character like that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, before we got started with the interview, we were kind of talking off the air about you were getting so many tweets about issue three of Divinity, which has been amazing so far. And there's a pivotal moment, if you haven't read issue three yet, and we might get into a little bit of spoilery-ish territory here, but there's a pivotal moment in this issue involving Mishka and Abram Adams that's a real game-changer, so... Do you feel like everything's been leading up to that moment, and where do you feel like Colin King Ninjak goes from here? Yeah, I honestly, I, I turned in an outline for Divinity, and it was, I think the original outline was 12 issues, um, and I had it broken down into story arcs, you know, so each series was its own little arc that sort of built on what had come before, but it was also its own, own story. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, honestly, everything is building to what we've been trying to build to you from the beginning, you know, and I, and it, it's, it's fun to, to write a story like that where you sort of focus on one thing, you know, you're, it's, it's all about Abram in the first arc and sort of figuring out his story and who he is. And then you kind of pull back and uh, there's another cosmonaut, you know, and then you pull back again. And then um, with minor spoilers, you know, there's that third, the third cosmonaut. And uh, so, I mean, that was always the structure from the beginning and it's sort of fun to just, have that outline and then connect those dots and then have little character moments along the way that are, that I can surprise myself with, you know, like not everything is written out a hundred percent. You know, I kind of know where everybody's going and where things need to be. Um, but that's part of the fun of writing is to have a general idea where you're going and then let the characters sort of dictate how, how you get to that point. And, you know, staying within this this third issue that came out this week, in, in the newest issue, there's a, a sort of a vulnerable moment between Mishka and Haradas. When you, when your art team first sent you their vision of what it, that moment was going to look like, uh, what was your reaction to it, and how important is it to get across that in this style and verse, that, that, you know, a lot of these characters aren't really evil, they're more uh, being controlled by the government, and there's pretty much your spirit's being crushed by them. So uh, how how important is this to kind of showcase all that when this, this style and verse you've created? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's the challenge with a story like this, is you know it's Val- Valiant is not going to let me wreck their entire universe, 
Right, like right. Russian controlled forever. So you, like as a reader, you, you know that going in and no one, I'm not, you know, you can't pretend that, oh, maybe maybe this is going to always be this way or these characters are always going to be that. Um, so the the challenge then is to make it so um, even if, even though you know that somehow things have to get back to some sort of normalcy, you hope, you know, maybe they don't. Maybe that's the big twist is that I've ruined the Valiant universe. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the... The the challenge is rather than is to make it so that the whatever they're going through that has lasting impact. You know, like there's meaningful moments, and the characters are changing because of the the stuff that's happening. Because you know, while on the surface things may end up going back the way they are, um, the characters aren't going to be the same. You know, they they're going to remember this. They're going to know what happened, um, and a lot of things that come out of this are things that they're going to change the characters forever. You know, and change with what's hap- what happens going forward. Honestly, I think the end of issue four is the, is one of the quietest moments I've ever written, but it, to me, that's like the biggest moment in the series, you know, and, and I can't wait for people to read that one, but it's 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 a thing where you realize that, you know, while the characters aren't going to be the same, you know, and, and even if, you know, EXO uh, goes back to being normal and injects, not trying to fight the Russians on every front, um, they're they're going to be different anyway, knowing what what they know or seeing what they've seen, and and um and that's the fun, you know, because it's ultimately it's character driven stories, and I just want people to sort of care about these people. Absolutely, we're talking to writer Matt Kent of Divinity Three: The Stalinverse. Of course, issue three available right now. Also, Ninjak and upcoming with Exo Man of War as well. Now, Matt, we were kind of touching on this a little bit, but there are so many characters in the Stalinverse that now kind of find themselves mostly out of character in a way, and almost to make a, a professional wrestling analogy, it's almost like when the good guy makes his big heel turn, you know. So, in reshaping the universe for this particular story. Which of those turns do you feel like, as a writer, was the most difficult, or do you see things differently? Um, yeah, I don't know. I it's funny to me because I think uh, my problem is I, I can I uh, can look at every point of view and sort of, and maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it helps me write, but I can look at a villain or any character's point of view and sort of write from their perspective. Um, and I think that that made it easy to do or, you know, sort of figure out how, you know, what would Exo's role be in this universe, you know, his relationship with the government and that kind of stuff. Uh, you just, I just, uh, I guess I, every character the same way. And it's like, well, what, what would they do if this happened for real? You know? And I, I think that's the fun of writing for me is, is coming up with fantastical situations and then imagining what I would do in that situation. Um, as a writer with all these different characters, you can't just go into it and say, "Well, what would I do if I had the exosuit? What would I do?" Um, you have to you have to look at the history of that character and think, "Well, what what would they do?" You know, and uh, and I think that uh, I I think a lot of those are sort of tough choices. But I think if you have a government or this big agency that's controlling everything, and um, I think you tend to a lot of people just tend to fall in line, and I think. That's kind of what Eric had done, you know, similar to what he had done with um, Gate and the U.S., you know, in the, in the, in the, whatever, our, our reality of the Valiant Universe, you know, his relationship with them, I feel like that's just mirrored in, in um, Stalinverse. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but they just give them different missions, <laughs> different roles. Sure, yeah. You know, let's take over the oil fields. You know, it's a little more aggressive, I think. <laughs> and, you know, while we're talking about Exo Man of War, of course, you have a new series that's coming out next month, uh, March 22nd, actually, to be exact. What are some things readers can look forward to about that? What's something about the upcoming series that excites you the most? I know James and I got to look at it early and got to read it early, and I was blown away by oh, it, the yeah. first issue. Yeah, well, I'll say, first of all, the art. <laughs> like, oh, yes. If yeah, there's a series yes. you're going to buy just for the art, just buy it for the art, you know, and, and uh and hopefully the story lives up to what he did with on the page. But uh, uh, so first of all, I would say that I flipped through it and I'm like, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe I wrote, I wrote this, what this guy's drawing. <laughs> you know? um, it's so good. I'm so excited. I can't tell you how much. Um, but yeah, I. That's the tricky thing with approaching EXO is that Rob covered so much ground, and I didn't really want to repeat anything, and I didn't want to do, I didn't want to forget the continuity and the past and the history um, and just do like a, some kind of reboot or anything, you know? So in a lot of ways, I feel like this is a, it's a direct continuation of Rob's run on the book, um, but done in a way where you don't have to have read the other stuff, you know, and which is, I, I kind of try to approach everything I do that way. And that you, I want people to, first of all, get a good story, you know, when you're a reader, pick it up, get a good story first, you know, and then worry about the continuity and all that later. Um, if you're interested in what happened in the before this issue one, you know all those issues are there to go back and look at. And uh, and so I think that was my main concern was to not repeat what had happened and just do something um, crazy, different, um, and just push it more towards like sci-fi and fantasy, which is kind of the thing I'd been in the mood to write for a while, mm-hmm. and I haven't really gotten a chance to do it. Um, I'm a huge fan of Conan from you know since i was a kid um i like all that uh, barbarian barbarian stuff and uh i love fantasy i love sci-fi so i just i try to jam all of that in there and and we threw eric into uh this new alien planet you know and i just tried to world build that planet to death like i filled a sketchbook with tons of drawings about the different races that live there and in the culture and the society and the weapons and the and how it works um just to i didn't want to do uh like a sci-fi thing where they're just on an alien planet and like the, the aliens look weird and um and then you move on to the next thing you planet hopping or that kind of thing i i right. wanted to do something where yeah where you're just part of the series is world building you know and we're discovering this planet the same way eric is you know and we get to sort of see it from his point of view which is this crazy alien planet. And then we get sort of put into his shoes at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's what I just, I wanted the planet and the atmosphere and all that to be as interesting as what's happening to XO. Yeah, absolutely. I want to switch gears and talk about Ninjak a little bit, which has been amazing lately as well. So let's talk about the ongoing series. And Colin seems to still be dealing with emotions with Roku and everything that's going on there. Now he's got that uneasy alliance with the Shadow 7 going on of all groups. So of the two things that he was given in issue 24, the magic in his sword and the knowledge of Sandria, which is going to be his most valuable asset going forward into issue 25, which is coming out on March the 29th? Um, of those two things, it'll be the third thing um, <laughs> that you don't see. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. I just um, 
Yeah, I mean, the whole, honestly, the whole series has been building up to the the issue after this one. So, um, like, this is the setup for something really big and really super sad. <laughs> so, um, one of my favorite stories. So, uh, yeah, I can't I can't say anything without spoiling everything. <laughs> of course, yeah. But uh, of course. no, it's good. It's going to be neat, you know. And uh, there's a lot of little clues and things that uh, have been we had in like issue god the first like six issues probably <laughs> there's a thing that's coming back you know so a lot of the stuff that's happening in in this arc is, are things that we sort of set up really early and we're paying off you know with um master dark and his sister and and roku and all that it's all just kind of coming to a head well now well, it's I time just... to pull out the long box then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch, it's like cue something said, so it's just like him sitting on his couch. It's that third thing we don't see, which is like him grabbing that giant jar of M&Ms and just drinking it pretty much. Right, yeah. Well, that's right. <laughs> just drowning his sorrows in candy. That picture but, on the wall did mean something. <laughs> 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 you know, Matt, since we're talking about Ninjak, of course, we all know Valiant is heading into the realm of filmmaking. And, you know, of course, Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe web series is something I know James and I and many others are very much looking forward to. So if there was a Matt Kent versus style web series, where and how do you picture the final showdown taking place and going down. <laughs> oh, with Ninjak versus me? If it, no, if it, if it was just like, if it was, if it was like Matt Kent versus Soccer Dad, like how do you picture the you know some just somebody? How would you picture that final fight going down? Here's here's what would happen. This is exactly what it would be. And uh, if any my anybody that knows me knows this to be true, is that I would be daydreaming about a story and I would get hit by a car as I cross the street. <laughs> and that, that is how I would lose to the universe. So a one shot then. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It'd be like two minutes. It's just That's one why pan. I never walk alone. <laughs> it's just like like a 10 second clip it's like it's pretty much like you know how on youtube you have to wait to watch ads now it's like wait i had to watch a 30 second ad for a 10 second clip <laughs> right i'm picturing you remember remember the pilot for matt, matt i don't know if you've seen legion remember in the pilot with legion when they're walking with that with that like piece of fabric because she can't hold hands i can just picture matt yeah. walking down the street with somebody having one of those pieces of fabric, and every time he wanders off, they kind of yank him back on the straight and narrow. <laughs> or, or it's just yes. Matt walking. Or it's just Matt walking with a piece of fabric. I just hear, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh wow, wow, yeah, that sounds about right. But I mean, hey, let's take a deep breath and talk about all the stuff that's coming out right now for Matt. I mean, we've got Divinity Three Stalinverse. Book three is available right now. We've got book four coming on March the 29th. That's also the same day. Ninjak number 25 comes out, and if that's not enough, yep, Matt Kent's writing Exo Man of War, and the first issue is going to be coming out on March the 22nd. Writer of pretty much everything going on in the Valiant Universe right now, it's Matt Kent. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, James, if I had my own web series, like Nick versus whatever, it would be versus, like, the world's greatest stepdad. And I picture this, right? We're at like a fast food establishment, just to say we're at McDonald's. And this is like in the future. So like I have kids and stuff like that. And they have like, and he has kids and we're just like sitting across from one another. And there's like a toy that both our kids needs to get the whole collection of whatever the uh-huh. fuck else their happy meals. So the dad and I like have like this kind of, 
Kill Bill style glance at each other, like split screen, <laughs> and we're going, we're like, I'm like tackling them over the register. And I'm beating the shit out of them with fry baskets. And we're dueling with them like lightsabers, and yeah, it's it's fucking crazy. All for a cheap five cent plastic toy. Hey man, the the struggle is real. Although I mean, I thought you would have gone with like Nick versus the Wee Nunchuck remote, or <laughs> Nick no, versus the or Nick no, versus the monkey I, bars or something. No, like that. because Nick versus the Wee Nunchuck remote is like. Something that actually happens, I want, like, out of this world, oh, my God, this is, uh, you know, too insane to, to see happening. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know that, that's a that's an actual struggle, so I want to see, like, you know, <laughs> you know, so I know how that ends. It, it ends with me um, pretty much just never being able to play the Wii ever again. I've got but, news for you. Once you start having kids, what you just described will probably be an actual struggle. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't. Oh, God, if I have twins, I can't carry both at the same time. I have to tell my wife, like, hey, I can't wait. <laughs> you know, I can't hold both of them. I can't Shit. tell you how many times when, you, when you're a dad and you get a Happy Meal that you <laughs> get that Happy Meal toy that you already have that you just want to chuck it back through the window and be like, I want another one. <laughs> no, he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, I got to hear about why this kid wanted this one instead of that one for like yep. three hours. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to send you texts of like, you were right. <laughs> it just <laughs> happened. It's just going to be like a goat, like a picture of a goat. Like instead of the Magneto helmet, it's just going to be a picture of your glasses and a goatee with like a white backdrop and it says James was right. <laughs> Let's get that in production now, <laughs> just so we have it on standby. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And thanks to Matt Kent for coming on talking about everything going on that he's doing within the Valiant Universe. And, I mean, it's just so much that he's doing. So go out and get all the books and be sure to watch, you know, Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe when that's available out on the interwebs as well. And, hey, if you want to go out on the interwebs and see more of what we're doing every day, of course – be, feel free to go to facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downandnerdy757. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch, all at Merc with one arm. I'm at James A. Switham on Twitter. I can't imagine I'd ever have time for Twitch, but you never know. You can find out all this information, by the way, by going to our website really quick and easy. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Not only can you find all of that stuff, and you can hook up on Nick's Twitch stream, but you can also listen to the show a couple of different ways. You want to find out a way to buy all these books on Amazon, you can do that at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, pray safe, comp greeting. Always back on board your comics. And to that stepdad in the future who calls his kid Slugger to win his affection and have him call him his real dad, I'm coming for you in 20 years or 10 years or however many years it's going to be. <laughs>